On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them, and spoke to them of the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about fifty each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is the word of the Lord. We are in part seven of a projected ten sermon series, so we have three more to go. We'll take a break next week as we go to our Thanksgiving, special Thanksgiving service, and then we'll have three more on mercy. This today is actually a continuation of last week's message. This is a tremendously important portion of Scripture. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with it. It's something, a story that you probably heard maybe when you were very young in church, or even if you didn't grow up going into church, I'm sure you've heard this story of the feeding of the 5,000 um, with five loaves and two fish. And this is a really important um, lesson for how Christians are supposed to go about doing God's work. Well, like, what I like to call doing God's work, but in God's way. Not in our way. In His provision, not simply with what we have. And um, just, if you weren't here last week, I mean, last week I explicated this passage. This week I'm not going to so much um, um, open up the passage, but I, I just want to give you a quick recap. Um, I started off part one by saying this passage is just straight up a question of faith. Do you believe this happens? <laughs> I mean, it's a completely insane story. Um, there is sitting before five thousands, and then Jesus says, you go get them something to eat. <laughs> and a lot of people tend to think, well, you know, back then, they, you know, they, this pre-science age, they, they didn't, they believe in miracles, but today, you know, we, we're all science and modern people. We're sophisticated moderns. We don't believe in this stuff. Um, but, and so, but if you look into the passage, and especially if you look at the other instances where this is taught, that's exactly what they immediately start thinking is if we don't, we have to have a certain amount of money. And if we have this amount of money, then they'd all just be able to get a little bit of food. <laughs> and so immediately when I read this passage, I'm thinking like uh, they don't look like naive, um, pre-modern people. They sound just like we think. So that's the first question. Do you understand who we're dealing with here? Uh, 
This is, this is not, and this isn't just a passage that's just in, in one place in the Bible. This is repeated in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then Jesus even does the miracle again. <laughs> he does the feeding of the 5,000. He does the feeding of the 4,000. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will hit this seven times in, in various different ways. So it's, an, it's a really important piece of faith lesson that the Lord intends for us to get, you know, even years later. Second question is, whose work is it? It's a very weird thing because um, here it is. He's telling you to do something that there's no way any human being can do. Clearly, this is God's work. It's something only he can do. It's only an impossible piece of provision that only he can provide. Yet, this is really important. He says, you go give them something to eat. We're called to go do something. That we, <laughs> I mean, the, the, I, when I looked at it, it's, they don't, it's not even their food. I mean, if you know the other story, it's like a little boy comes up with the five loaves and two. It's certainly not their money. They don't have any money. They got no money. They don't even provide the food. And yet Jesus tells them, you go give them something to eat. So that the, although their main job is to just organize people into groups and then to be a bunch of essentially waiters for, for, for the Son of God. But that's still the command. And this is a tremendously important lesson for how we go about doing something like, you know, mercy. We're, we're here to want, we want to be merciful people, and there's tremendous need, hunger, hurt, brokenness, um, loneliness, all throughout our city. And we know that it's an overwhelming need, and we can't do it. And so one of the, what's so important as we go through this type of a series is there's so many people who are like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll get five bucks here or there. Maybe I'll, you know, if you think this way, you're thinking what we can do ourselves. You're looking by sight, not by faith. But we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. And we are here to do God's work, not in our way, but in his way. And so what I want to do throughout today, so we're just going to, we're going to continue. What I wanted to do today is last week I called this message the impossible provision. Today I've entitled it the impossible provision today. <laughs> the impossible provision today. And because some people tend to think this is a nice cute story for kids in Sunday school. And I heard this when I was six years old, but you know, not, you know I'm a sophisticated adult now and you know, we got to live in the real world. Um, if you live in the real world that way, then you will live apart from God and you won't see his glory. All you'll know is the things that you can do, we, that we can do with the stuff that we already have. But this is exactly what the Lord is saying. You go out and I tell you to, to, to feed all these people and the immediately first things, the things that we're going to see with our eyes is lack. How the heck can five loaves and two fish feed just the multitudes? But if we will obey the Lord... We have to look past lack. We have to see this impossible vision that God will give when we walk by faith, not by sight. So in three parts today, what I want to talk about is just illustration, an important illustration that really is something that our church is familiar with. And if you're new to our church, you'll have to hear a little background story. But um, our church for the last eight years has been trying to practice faith in a five loaves and two fish to feed thousands and that is our ministry to, you, know, you heard a little bit about in the announcements, to the Native Americans out in um, a town called Bishop. There's a reservation, and I'm going to tell you, a little, I'm going to t I'm tell you mostly just things that we've learned trying to live in the faith of Luke chapter 9. All right, so in three parts, part one, vision and calling begets faith, right? 
So where does it start? It starts with a calling from God, and then he helps us to see something that we could not have seen apart from faith, and then that faith takes, starts going someplace. All right, so number one, vision and calling beget faith. Part two, and this is where it gets interesting. Faith begets more faith, which leads to provision. All right, part two is faith begets faith, which begets provision, all right? And then part three, I want to close my message by talking about how Christ himself, Jesus Christ, the endless bread of God, right? Jesus Christ is the endless bread of God. So um, let me, let's, I want to say a little something about vision and calling. First, God calls us to do something. And if you go and only look at this with what we have, and whatever you have is going to look like, well, okay, go and help people who are women, and they have, um, they're pregnant, and a lot of them are drug addicted. <laughs> what do we have? Um, we have a house. <laughs> we have a house. And how can we help people in our city like that? But there was a couple many years ago, and they said, you know what, we don't have a whole lot of know-how how to help people like that, but what we do have is a house. That house is like, that's their five loaves and two fish. They gave that to Jesus, and now, years later, they don't live in the house anymore, but look what it does. See what I'm saying? See how this works? And what that is, is there's a vision. And vision is to be able to see. If you look at just your house, and all you see is a house. You see a need of a bunch of, of drug-addicted people, and they have pregnancies, and they might abort their children. They might be in despair. That last woman said that she probably wouldn't even be, get suicidal. And then, you know, that doesn't only just kill herself. That essentially will kill her own child. And a whole generation is lost because of that. I mean, that is just seeing by our sight, and which is, which is strange, which is strange, but it's, by, it's being blind. But if you hear God's call and if you have faith and there'll be a vision, by vi you'll see something. <laughs> and, what, and, then, and to get at this, I want to um, offer you um, a, a PowerPoint slide. So um, our church has been walking, uh, there was a calling into our church. I want you to go out to this Native American reservation and feed the hungry. In other words, they are hungry <laughs> and they need me. Would you go do something? You go do something for them. That's what that was our, call, our calling to our church eight years ago. And, um, and, and I want to back up a little bit to give you a sense of what this was like. So um, can we hit that light here, um, William? So um, if you're, for those of you who don't know about Bishop, it, it, it helps to be oriented a little bit. This is California. As you can see, we're over here in the Bay Area. This over here is the Sierra Nevada Mountains. And Bishop, this is the town of, it's actually a, a, a well-known resort town, but right outside of Bishop is this reservation of Paiute Shoshone Native Americans. It's right here. And this area right here, is there, it's called the Eastern Sierra. Um, you know, it's called the Eastern Sierra Nevada. And this area is gorgeous. It's, there's a valley here. Um, outside on this side, we don't, you know, we may know about the Central Valley and San Joaquin Valley, but this area is called the Owens Valley. So, um, this is the area we're talking about here. Let me go next one. A little, we'll get a little bit closer. There's Bishop, and there's other towns along this route. So, you know, you guys, many of you are familiar with this highway that runs north and south of our state. If you want to go to Southern California, a lot of you take this one. 
But if you live up here in Reno and you want to get down to LA, the, the people will typically take this highway down here, the 395. And along this 395 are multiple little towns and there are multiple reservations. Let's go closer. This is Bishop. We're getting closer here now. Um, and I want you to note, there's a, there's a town here called Big Pine. There's a reservation there. <laughs> there's Independence. There's Lone Pine. Um, there's a little town up here. We'll get a little closer. See this town over here called Benton? Okay, this is, this is how big Benton is. If you're driving, if you drive up this way, you're going to just drive. It's just gorgeous territory. And then if you blink, you will, you'll miss Benton. <laughs> and that's, that's, just a, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but really not, not by much. <laughs> like if you just like, oh, you oh okay, okay, we, we just, you're like, where's Benton? You missed it. <laughs> that, that's what it's like. And there's a reservation there, about 100 people. In, in 2010, um, yeah, we'll go back. Actually, can you go back to that, William? Sorry about that. There you go. All right. In 2010, oh, let me just give you um, this is a background story here. Um, the, the Korean-speaking congregation of our church, they, there, was a, there, there was a leader, and this is it's actually um, you know, our, our brother William, his, his father, and um, his name is Kyung Park. And Kyung Park was a deacon at the time. He's, he's one of our elders now. And he, had gone, he went on an overseas mission trip. And he came back and says, how come our church doesn't do anything like this? And so he began looking around for an opportunity and there was, um, there's a pastor who teaches at Indian Bible College, which is out in Tucson, Arizona. And he says, and he told um, Deacon Young Park, you guys should go out to Bishop. They have great need there. And so a team, um, in 2010, the team had maybe about 30 people. There was about maybe 10 or 15 folks from the Korean-speaking congregation. They ranged from age, you know, in that congregation, maybe like 20 through like 70, about 50 people, okay? 15 people. And then they said, you know what? We should do some VBS. So then they recruited Frank, our youth pastor, and Frank recruited a bunch of kids, about 15 kids. So it was about 30, maybe 35 people from the Korean-speaking congregation. They loaded a bunch of sedans, right? And they drove, they drove through these mountains. I mean, uh, here you have to drive through Yosemite. In the winter, these, these roads are closed. You got to go all the way around through Bakersfield. And they drove out there. They didn't have much. Didn't have much in the way of money. They had a woman who can cut hair, who didn't even go to our church. They had a nurse. They, um, and they had prayer. <laughs> and they had a VBS ministry. And they went out there. And mostly what they saw was um, how, how much they lacked. But they also saw God's power. Some kids got saved. And they asked, will you come back? Will you come back? And they came back and they realized, gosh, we have so much lack. That's what they, they, they and the lack wasn't even just about money. It was just um, things like trust. Because Native Americans don't trust. They, first of all, mostly they, what they got was a lot of rejection. They're like, who are you weird Asian people? And where are you from? San, San Jose? <laughs> Um, San Jose might as well be the moon for, to some of these um, Native Americans. I mean, they've heard of the place, but it's like it might as well be Chicago or New York or Hong Kong, right? And most of they got what they received was a lot of rejection. Um, the, our youth kids got some, some love because the kids just love the VBS. But even something as basic as this, so 
Deacon Kyung Park, and there was another leader there too. Um, um, was, you know, there's a sister in church. Her name is Jane, and her father, um, his name was Young Man Kim. Um, he was like, he was awesome. I remember, you know, I, he was the guy who, who led this thing. But um, Deacon Kyung Park came back, and he saw that we just have just tremendous lack. And this is even just the most simple lack like this. Um, a number of us on the Korean-speaking side don't speak English very well. It's kind of hard to like build relationships with Native Americans when you can't even really speak English very well. So um, at the beginning of the next year, so they went in 2010, and in 2011, when you know, we were doing planning, at the it, Deacon Park asked me, um, you know, Pastor Park, are, are you, uh, is a, the, does the English congregation have any kind of plans for short-term um, missions um, this year in 2011? I said, not really. And he goes, would you go with us to Bishop? And I, I said, well, we could talk more about that later. And then I went home and prayed about it. And this was what my prayers were like. I, I don't want to do it. <laughs> Jesus, I don't want to do it. Why, well, why do I have to go do this thing? Right? I was like, come on, Lord. You know how these things, you know how these things go. You know, in a Korean-speaking church, they'll go, you're the pastor. And since you're the pastor, suddenly, like, instead of Deacon Park being in charge, I will be the one in charge. And then as a few years go on, they're, they're excited about it now, but as a few years go on, a lot of the work is going to get shifted over to me. And I already got a lot of work. I, I'm like, why do I have to do this? Why do we in the English congregation need to go do this? But I can just, but here's the thing. Um, I looked at this thing with my sight. <laughs> I saw all the lack. I saw all the work. I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But you know what? I know this passage. I know Luke chapter 9. Well, you can either say, either fortunately, <laughs> I know it, or unfortunately, for, in, for, at that time, I was like, unfortunately, I know this passage. I know that when Jesus tells you to do something that sounds, quite frankly, stupid and impossible, he's not joking. <laughs> he really means it. And so I, I, I reluctantly told Deacon Park, oh, okay. And so in 2011, I went out there. The, you know, we, we took a, the, the team got bigger. It was like maybe like 60 people. We went from like 30 to 60. The budget got bigger. Um, you know, this is how little we had. We, we basically slept on the floor inside the church. Um, and the, all these cars would take, you know, the kids are getting excited about this thing. And so... Um, how do you get all these like youth and then like 20-something-year-olds out there? So you had people who are, are, are elderly in the Korean-speaking congregation, and they couldn't go spend four or five days a week. And they're like, they're, okay, I can't sleep on the floor because I'm old and I have a bad back, but, and, but, I, but I can drive. <laughs> and it, it takes a whole day to drive out there. It takes you at least seven hours or so. And then you'd have to sleep and then drive back seven hours next. So you'd have some of the elderly folks in the Korean-speaking congregation, they wanted to serve God. And so they would, you know, they would you know, offer up their uh, SUV, they would drive, and then you'd load the SUV with like a, 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 some teenagers. And, and, and then by this point, um, our, our, um, our children's pastor insisted that the, the kids have to learn how to do mission. Firsthand, so we're like, you know, we had a, we had a big discussion about this, and the pastoral staff were like, uh, I don't know about that, right? But but he won the argument, and so we we gave in to him, 
And so like eight-year-old kids are getting into these SUVs and you know, you're going through mountain roads and we had stories of like one of the kids threw up in an SUV and like you know, the elder thought it was just funny. He didn't even care even though his, his car stank for the next you know, week. Right? That's what it was like. It was mostly lack. And, um, but I went out there and people did all these various different kinds of work. They did medical, they did visitation, they did prayer. We ran a, a youth praise night for the first time. They, they, like these teenagers, they, they've, never, they've never seen anything like it. They don't even know what the heck is this. And, and we had very few even who come because they weren't interested in Jesus. But here's, what, here's the vision that um, the Lord started showing us. You see this place, Bishop, right here? There's, um, there's a reservation there. And we thought, who are we going to go there to help? The, the 50 people who come out to our event, the 100 people who come out to, uh, uh, um, to our event, is that what we're there for? And that's not what the Lord said. On this reservation, here's what, here's, here's, I just went to mostly that, that first year or two. It's like, we don't know what the heck we're doing. We don't know even know anything about these people. While other people did ministry, I just did a lot of learning and a lot of listening and to see if the Lord would start painting a picture. And what we began to see is that Bishop has about 2,000 members and about 1,600 people on the reservation. It's interesting. So not, they don't all live on the reservation, but they're a member of the reservation. And about 2,000 members and about 1,600 people live there. But it's not, that's not even the end of it. Deacon Park had heard that there's a reservation down here, down here, down here. And those first couple years, we even would send cars to try to pick up kids to go to VBS down there. But you, you know, if you go down to the Big Pine, Big Pine has about 600 members on the reservation, 500 people living there. If you, Independence is pretty small. They have about 100 Native Americans there. If you go down near Lone, Lone Pine's interesting. They have about 350 living on the reservation. Um, it's, it's hard to know how many are their members. One of the websites says that there's 1,400 members, and I'm like, I don't know if I entirely believe that, but there's, there's at least 350. And if you think that's all there is to it, it actually gets even more interesting than that. The years that we've been going there, we f I find out that this place up here, we, I didn't even know about Benton. We didn't even know there's Indians up there. Um, they're called the Utu, I'm going to see if I get this right, the Utu, Utu, Guaitu, Paiute Native Americans. There's about 100 of them up there. And if you go back here, see Bridgeport? And there's a town here called, uh, if you go up here, Lee Vining, there's a Native American community there. There's, a, there's a, about 100 Native Americans up at Bridgeport of a, of a different kind. And you know what? This is what, what we learned. You see Bishop here? This is the biggest reservation, but it's also the most important. And if you revive a church, so there was a church planted there by a missionary named William Price many, many years ago. He came in from out of here into this valley and... Um, he went to, like, I think, the, as the story goes, there's a poker match. This is something I learned. And so I'm just learning. The first year I go out there, the leader at the, at the church that we're working with is this elderly woman. And there's a booklet there about the founding of the church. She hands this to me and says, Susan, you should read this. This is important. I read this thing, and I'm like, okay, that's a nice story. This, uh, um, this pastor, a guy named William Price, comes into Owens Valley you know, there's the, they're playing poker. They were basically a bunch of alcoholics and, and gamblers. Not a whole lot's changed, okay, in, in 100 plus years. And they ignored him. But over time, some started getting saved and a church was planted. 
And it wasn't even just here. It started to, they started reaching people down here, and they started reaching people here. And that church started reaching the whole valley. And as I started reading that book, so this, it's not because I was smart. I, just, I read that book, and I just knew it was from God. But I didn't really know what to make of it. I read it, and I read it. It's like a small little book, like 20 pages. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and it started to become clear to me. God was saying, there is no more William Price here, and that's your job. You guys go do this again. I love these people. And if you add all this up, you know how many people are here? Like Native, there's probably at least 3,000 Native Americans that used to be reached for Jesus. Most of them are not being reached anymore. And here we are, a few thousand dollar budget, 30, now 60 folks from this, uh, this you know, medium-sized Korean American church on the other side of the mountains. And Jesus and you go give them something to eat. That was the vision. That was the call, right? Um, you can turn that off now. Let's go to part two. If you have vision and you can begin to see this, you know what it starts to do? It's, and then you begin to believe that there's a calling. Faith will then stir up faith. You want to know where, um, how you get faith? You start with faith. <laughs> where do you get faith from? From faith. <laughs> And one man has faith, and then 30 people have faith, and then 60 people have faith, and faith leads to provision. So, um, some of you are wondering, like, how do you go from five loaves to two fish? You go from faith to faith to an impossible provision. So what I'm just going to do is just tell you a few stories here now, how we have seen Luke chapter 9 in this mission. And some of you, if you've been in this church, you've heard me tell a number, number of stories about Bishop, but you haven't heard me tell these stories because these are the stories about how God provided, not so much about things that happened out there on the reservation. And so I'm just going to tell you a few of these things. So the first one, a number of you guys, you're very practical, modern people, you're wondering about the money, okay? The first year, the, the, the Korean-speaking ministry had a budget of like just a couple thousand, I mean, they didn't, this wasn't in their plan. So Deacon Kyung, said, Kyung Park goes, let's do this thing. They're like, oh, we got no budget for this. Uh, so they had a couple, they set aside a couple thousand dollars of reserves from the mission's budget in the Korean-speaking congregation. And then they asked, and then other people in the church that wanted to chip in, they said, I can't go. So then they, they started like making kimchi. <laughs> and then they just started selling it and that they just raised the money. That's how they started it. But the following year, it bumped up to... Um, it bumped up to like 60 people. And then there's like way more cars. There's like so many cars going back and forth. And what happened is we, at that time, the, the Korean Spring Cars got a new pasture. And when Deacon Chung Park started this thing, he thought we have a few thousand dollars and thankfully we have a couple thousand dollars more than we did previous year. And so they budgeted the following year, but then he thought this is all, this is it. We can only budget this much money because, you know, we're not like a rich church. And then we have to, we have to do this fundraising and we're going to have to, this is the only way we can do it. We, we can't like, we don't have money to, you know, to, to uh, um, haul these people. So we're going to have to just drive these people back and forth. And um, Pastor Yoon, who was a new pastor, um, of the, he looked, looked at this way, and he pretty much said, no, we can't do it this way. We're not, we're not going to do it this way. And, and Deacon Parker said, well, how are we going to do it? Because we don't, we don't have the funds for it. So he's looking at only the five loaves and two fish that we got. 
And I, I even said to him, I said, well, Pastor Yoon, how are we going to do it? I mean, it's pretty good. I mean, it's beautiful. You know, this is the way the elderly folks and some of the folks who can't go out to Bishop can control, contribute to this mission. If you take that, that's not great if you take it away from him. So let, let's just do it. And he said, no. He turned to me and says, Pastor Park, if one of those cars going through the mountain roads gets into an accident and a couple of our kids are hurt, on this trip, he's like, that's the end of the mission trip. That's it. The whole mission, like, that's going to stop and break the whole mission trip. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, he's right. That's, that's, I was like, the chances of an accident are, are getting higher, and he's right. It'll, 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 it'll break everything apart. And so he said, so let's, um, let's get a bus. <laughs> so Deacon Park did a little research and found out that the bus would cost $6,000. <laughs> that's just there. And then the next time they come back, you know, on the back end of the trip, the bus has to come pick us up. So we have to get this charter bus. We, it's not in the, so, so the crane speaking ministry, they decide that the pastor said, I'm just going to go up in front of our congregation and just ask for it. <laughs> we need $6,000 to do this thing. And some of the deacons on our council, they came up to me. They're looking like, I, I don't know if we're going to get the $6,000. So they came up to me and said, Pastor, would you make the same appeal in the English-speaking congregation because, you know, they're just trying to get as many people, you know, ask more people. Let's see where this goes, right? So the following week, Pastor Hume gets up, tells everyone, we need $6,000. And, um, you know, I made the same appeal. The following week, $7,000 rolled in, just like that. Boom. <laughs> they didn't even need the English congregation's money. <laughs> and... That's, that's, how, that's how it went to the next level. And then you, it started off with just a couple thousand dollars in the bank. Do you know that in the last couple years, each year as you feed more people, because more and more Native Americans come in, then we need to do more ministry for them, right? Guess what? That costs more money. Do you know that last year the budget had got $25,000? And, um, and, uh, and we didn't, we didn't have a hard time hitting that, hitting that number. Faith begets faith, which begets provision. Yeah, it's, it's money. Um, the money is actually not even the, 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 the hard part. Actually, far more important than money is people. So if you're going to do more ministry and you have to reach a multitude, guess what? You need more and more people. At the beginning, we had 30. Then we got 60. And then, like, the, the, the church started getting really excited. I, at, at the highest point, I think we had, like, 100. I mean, I don't even know how we squished, squeezed 125. They're sleeping on the floor. I mean, it was, it was crazy. People, people were sleeping in their minivans. You know, this is how we had to do it. It was, like, 120-something people went out there sleeping, really, sleeping on the floor. Pat, um, Deacon Park felt sorry for everybody sleeping on the floor, so he, like, invested the money that we raised and got air mattresses. This is how we do it. And... Um, but actually, in the last couple of years, I don't know if you know this, but uh, people in our church, you know, it's like, it's kind of like uh, Bishop feels a little bit more like an old hat thing. It's interesting. Fewer people are starting to go to Bishop out of our church than in previous years when it was new and it was exciting. Um, but the work is expanding and the ministry opportunities are, 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 are multiplying. So you know how the, what the Lord has done? Over time, somehow word has gotten out that our church has this multi-year, multi-generational mission. And other churches have called and asked, can we, can we be a part of that? <laughs> and so this past year, we had four different churches. So 
uh, I think something like, maybe like 50 people came out of our church, fewest that we've had in years, but we still had an 80, 90 person team because other churches started sending their people. And it's even more interesting than that. When you go on the reservation, um, we start making friendships, and then the Christians and other people, and they're not, sometimes they're not even Christians. <laughs> sometimes they're not even Christians because they now trust us and respect us. They'll just jump in and do stuff with us. And so we go do ministry. So just to give you a couple of examples, um, the, the, there's a team called the Handy Team, and they go and they fix people's houses, and they have to, they, they have to do a lot of, like, um, like weeding and because like elderly people can't weed they, they have like a big piece of park but they can't weed and so like the, the one of the deacons was looking at this said, oh my goodness there's only like three guys on this team and look at this long there's no way we're going to be able to do this and it's like 100 degrees outside and you know what happened four of the young men from the reservation um, I think one of them is not even a believer <laughs> three of them are believers said we'll, we'll go do that we'll go do that with you and so these three, these three middle-aged Korean-speaking guys had like these four like tough like twenty-something-year-old guys like they're like chop. I mean, they're 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 they're, they're endless energy and they're weeding and and to to join our work. This is what it was like. Um, we we got this idea to to take the some of the teenagers who are Native Americans to bring them out to our youth retreat, just like we asked you. And they're going to, you know, we're hoping to get six, but that's what we, we max out because we don't have enough, you know, we just don't have, you know, we, we, we can't take that many kids. But um, we began praying and dreaming what if we can offer this youth retreat because there's a few kids that have come out to our winter youth retreat, their lives are changed. And if we can have this over there, how, how could this change? And then, you know, so a couple years ago, so Frank and I met this woman and, and, and this pastor. The pastor's name is Jim Copeland. He's up there. You know that little town up there that you blink? There's a, a little church there, White Mountains Bible Chapel. And right outside that church, they run a Bible camp, and they attract about 100 kids, kids like age like 6 through 18. And some, some of them are Native Americans. And we started partnering with them. And now we, now, now we have a youth retreat. We didn't have to provide it. <laughs> And um, so this is, this is how things have, um, this is what the Lord, so we lack money, the Lord provides money. We don't have enough people, the Lord just sends us people. Faith begets faith, which leads to provision. How about this? We don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> we're a bunch of like, oh, these clicky Asians that only like to hang out with Asians. And they only know how to be, you know, like hang out with like their college educated folks inside their city. You know, and they're like, all they do is like play on their like smartphones and they do all their work like this, you know, in their mobile way. It's a totally different culture. And so we go out there, and of course, you know, they hunt, they fish. <laughs> they have, like, they have all these, like, Native American events. We have, they have this thing called Mule Day. It's like, a, I mean, I was there. I was like, Mule Day. It's a parade of mules. <laughs> I was like, this is like, I'm truly in another country. This is what it's like. And we, so we are so clueless when we go out there. And so when, like, we begin, gosh, we have, we have a lot of learning to do. So even in terms of our, our knowledge is like a five loaves and two fish. And, and, and a number of our people, we, we just want to stay in our little comfort zone and click. So we don't have any, even the heart. We have this idea that we want to do a mission, but we don't have a heart to do the hard work of crossing culture and loving an odd and alien and strange culture. And so 
Um, so Frank and I took a chance. So in the first year, like we couldn't even get like the older Korean speaking folks to like walk with the, the teenagers. Like even that was a difficulty. So we don't have the heart and know-how, but we know there's no way our mission to Native Americans is going to work if, if older Korean-speaking folks are over there and like, you know, 20-something-year-old English speakers over here and then like 14-year-old kids of both congregations are over here. We just knew that wasn't going to work. And so we started cooking up um, ministries to train our people to go into the cities and to do it together. And so the first year... Frank and I said, you know, let's, let's send, let's break them up into smaller teams. We're going to force, like, multi-generational, and let's let them go serve on, at elderly care home, some kind of ministry in elderly care home. And, you know, and then we sent them out there, and then, you know, and then I prayed, like, Lord, let, don't, I was like, it's, it's going to flame out. It's going to flame out. We're going to, like, crash and burn. It's like, please. and then you know what happened? They came back glowing. They came back excited. They're saying, Pastor, can we go do this again? Can we go do this again? And I was thinking, like, mm, maybe, maybe. And the following year, I said, okay, we're not going to go there. Let's just go right for the jugular. And so then we started finding other ministries to other ethnic, unreached people. Because if you're going to go on a reservation, you have to learn how to cross cultures. And so let's go find a different reservation, you know, like the Vietnamese reservation. <laughs> The Mexican reservation, the Afghan reservation, and they're like just in the next town. Let's go send our team and go do a piece of ministry there. And, you know, not every single team that went came back with a great experience, but a lot of them did. And they came back and said, we'd love it, Pastor. Let's go do it again. So the money, the people, the heart, the know-how. And I'll just... Close with this last one before we go to the, 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 the closing portion of my message. You know, our dream was that this guy, William Price, this pastor that came in, what we need is a new version of William Price. If we have a new version of William Price, this kind of pastor, missionary leader, the church can be revived, and then the church can do what it used to do, reach all those other reservations, Bridgeport, Lee Vining, Big Pine, Lone Pine, even Death Valley, you know, um, this, these 3,000 people can start to be reached again. And so over the last years, we have this, we have this internship, and we've been praying. And um, I'm going to just tell you, there's a guy right now. I, I took a trip with him um, last month in October. He's a very seasoned pastor. He's a Korean-American guy from New Jersey. And he is very seriously thinking about going out there, uprooting his family, going out to the reservation. And if he does, I'm praying that he's the new William Price. And if he does, what started off with a couple thousand dollars in the bank with 30 people from our church could be an absolute game changer for the whole valley, for Native Americans. Huh? This, is how, this is how God does it. But you must believe, and you must have faith and follow. Now let me close with this um, picture. You know, there was a, there's a, in, the, in the Gospel of John, in the Gospel of John, I told you, this, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is, is told in every, uh, all four of the, of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In the Gospel of John, it happens in John chapter 6. And right after, after John chapter 6, then Jesus, there's a series of things there where Jesus says who he is in the, in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he goes, I'm the resurrection and the life. 
He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And you know what he says after he feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6? He says, I am the bread of life. That's what he says. And to many people in the world, there is this guy that some people think is so interesting. His name is Jesus. And there is a message about him that we call the gospel. And to many people, it doesn't look like much. It doesn't look like much. There's this guy named Jesus. And really, that there's a hunger in the world, though. And he says, he is the bread of life. I mean, you guys saw that video? And that woman, I mean, I've, I've seen that video now about five times. And at the end, when that woman says, when I came to Heritage Home, and then she stops, my heart was dark. And then she's, she just remembers that time. And she starts to weep. And she remembers that time. You know, it isn't hunger for food. There's a hunger for forgiveness. There's a hunger for love. There's a hunger for hope. There's a hunger for a new life. That's the real hunger. And what do we have? We have seemingly what looks to be small. We have this person named Jesus. And we have this message called the gospel. And it doesn't look like much. And we proclaim this message that this bread of God, this bread of life, came down and was broken on a cross. And if you eat the bread of life, it will fill far more than your stomach. There's an infinite chasm of who we are. And that bread of life, Jesus, will fill us. And this is what happens. You have this bread, which doesn't look like much. It looks like our five loaves and two fish. But if that loaf is Jesus, the bread of life, people will eat that bread of life, Jesus, and they will know that infinite chasm of who they are is filled. And then they will begin to look at things like bread and money and their time and their talents and said, I have eaten of a bread that will fill me for all eternity. So I'll be more than glad to give this bread and this money and my time and my talent. And so for them seemingly f small five loaves and two fish that we call the gospel comes an endless provision. If your bread is Jesus. Are you believing that? when you walk with us to do God's work and God's way, and when you see need, you know, we can be like that couple who said, you know, I have a house. And it can become a heritage home. Oh, there's a church, and it's about to be broken down, but how about if we can see that church is the central launching pad to reach the whole valley, not just this reservation, but all the reservations on this valley. See so if you can see that and understand that from this bread of life, there's more than enough that will be provided for that work. Let's pray. We're a poor people, Jesus. And forgive us for constantly looking at only what's in our pocket and what's in our talents and what we can do by sight. Forgive us and help us to repent. Give us the daring. Give us the faith 
to walk by faith in what you have called us to do in Luke chapter 9 and to trust that if we have you, the bread of life, we have more than enough. Bless us. Pour out your love in us. May we respond to you. May we be this way for Owens Valley. Next month when we go reach and serve um, uh, the women at Heritage Home and in other ways, Lord, that you call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.